It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. One of the things I've been realizing over this entire podcast and over just writing about personal finance and talking about it all the time is that paying off debt takes sacrifice. Any of the guests that you've listened to that have paid off a ton of debt have made some sacrifices. When I paid off my own debt, it took a lot of work. It was a lot of sacrifice. But the part that I feel like as a personal finance content creator, I don't do a good enough job of reminding people is that keeping debt around also takes sacrifice. It does. At the end of the day, sometimes you're sacrificing if you have debt that's really expensive and costing you a ton of money every single month. You're sacrificing family vacations. You're sacrificing peace of mind because you're not putting that money directly into your savings accounts or your retirement accounts. You're sacrificing mental health sometimes. There's a huge sacrifice and a huge opportunity cost to keeping debt around as well. Now, that is something that I promise you I'm going to be doing a much, much better job about talking about because I think it's really important. And before we dive into today's guest, who does a really great job of talking about how she paid off her debt, which is it's such a good story. I really love it. I have to share with you a really great money win. This money win comes from Kimberly from the private Facebook group Manager Money Like a Boss. She says, I am officially credit card debt free. I paid off $5,000 in less than five months and raised my credit score by 27 points to a beautiful 787. Hashtag money win. Kimberly, you rock, my friend. I'm so proud of you for paying off that credit card debt in less than five months. That's a good chunk of change that you're putting towards your debt. So congratulations. And super cool to see your credit score increase as well. This is not for Kimberly. I think she gets this completely, especially if her credit score went up. But if you're curious why that would be the case, anytime you start to pay down debt, it can increase your credit score because if you have a utilization, meaning one card where you use more than 30%, it actually hurts your credit score pretty significantly. And so typically, if you pay down credit card debt and it gets below that 30%, utilization rate, usually your credit score is going to increase quite a bit. But congratulations, Kimberly. I am so excited for you. And that was such a cool money win to read. I'm really proud of you. 
All right, guys, let's dive into today's guest. Becky Blake is a total rock star. She's founder of 20free.co, where she teaches 20-somethings the principles of financial independence and lifestyle design through coaching, blogging, and a podcast. Her podcast is called Find Your Freedom. And similar to The Money Nerds, similar to this show, it's really actionable stuff too, which I really appreciated. In fact, if you do want to listen to me on her show, I was a recent guest. It was super cool. You can go listen to um, a little bit more about how I share about how I grew my coaching business. So it's really a ton of fun. And it's something I don't talk about often on this show. So if you want a different side of it, definitely go listen to find your freedom. Some of the guests that she's had really focus on debt freedom, achieving financial independence, quitting their jobs, starting their businesses, traveling the world. And what I think is super cool is defining freedom for themselves. Becky believes that you can enjoy your 20s to the fullest while pursuing financial freedom and creating a life you love. Here's what you're going to learn in this episode. We go through Becky's background with personal finance, some of the choices that she would have approached differently if she could go back, finding herself in $100,000 of debt and exactly what she did to pay off $75,000 in less than two years. We talk about some mental and emotional side of financial sacrifices. This conversation is super important because I know a lot of people, some of the sacrifices that Becky made people would disregard that or discredit that and try to diminish the work that she put in. But I need you to be open-minded when she shares her sacrifices because at the end of the day, it was still a sacrifice for her. We talk about considering your core values when planning for your life and even potential problems with what we deem the deferred life plan. I have really enjoyed this conversation. I think there's a ton of nuggets of wisdom throughout, and I hope you enjoy it as well. If you do, take a screenshot, tag me on Instagram, let me know that you're listening in, and let me know what resonated with you most. All right, guys, I am so excited to introduce you to my friend, Becky Blake. Hey, hey, guys, welcome back to another episode. Today, I am so excited to be joined by a fellow podcaster, Becky Blake. Becky, thank you so much for hanging out. I'm so happy to be here, Whitney. I literally am so stoked. So you just launched your podcast, Find Your Freedom Podcast. Tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind launching that. So I was blogging about personal finance, financial independence, and lifestyle design um, for a couple of years, actually. And I went to FinCon in 2019 with the idea that I was going to launch this podcast. And I got so much inspiration when I was there. And I talked to all these incredible people. And it really solidified that I need to be sharing women's stories about their money and how they thought about money when they were younger, the mistakes that they've made in their early financial lives, and just in general, how they are going about their personal financial independence journey, because everyone has a different path. And there's so many options available to us. Um, And the other concept that I cover a lot is lifestyle design, because I think that a pursuit of financial independence without lifestyle design at the same time um, can end up feeling a little bit unfulfilling and can be really quite a grind. So I like to integrate those two concepts with each other, because ultimately, I think when we're looking for freedom, we're all looking for finding both financial security and also a lifestyle that we'd find sustainable and really meaningful and fulfilling for the rest of our lives. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think the the concept of lifestyle design is an important one. And I know you learned about this whole idea from Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek. And that's where I first started learning about what's possible too. And so I love that. But I want to dive into your background a little bit. How was money talked about when you were a kid? 
So my parents were really open about money with me when I was a kid, and they tried really hard to teach me and my siblings about not taking on any credit card debt and Mm. um, making sure that we were saving a portion of any money that we made. So when we were young children, that was our allowances. Um, As we got older, that was money that we made from, you know, part-time food service or retail jobs. And so they tried to really kind of instill the financial foundation um, of knowledge in us, which I thought was really great. Even as I got older, my parents um, started talking more to us about real estate. And, you know, I learned what a home equity line of credit and things like that were, um, which are kind of advanced financial concepts that I think a lot of kids especially, but even young adults, they don't hear those things until they're thinking about purchasing a home. So. I felt like I got a really good financial foundation. However, being a bit of a rebellious teenager and child (laughs) in general, I didn't want to take my parents' advice because I thought that they were just sucking the fun out of my life by telling me to save my money. So (laughs) totally. (laughs) while I thought like, oh yeah, that's great, but you guys are adults and adults are boring and they have to save their money because they don't have anything fun to do anyway. I finally had what I thought was financial freedom at the moment. When I was 14, I started working and I served uh, ice cream every day and it was a terrible food service job and I made like, I don't know, $5 an hour or something like that, but I finally had money. And you better bet that I spent every penny of that money every time I got a paycheck. What'd you spend the money on? Mostly clothes at Target, to be real. I love Target. You walk in and you have that little section that's all this crap that you don't need that you just want to buy because it's there and it's a dollar. And I finally, you know, my parents are very frugal. So we bought all of our clothes when we were younger at garage sales and we got a lot of things secondhand. And uh, I got hand-me-downs from my siblings and I had a twin sister. So we shared a lot of the things that we had. And that made me feel like, oh, well you know, when I get older, when I have money, what freedom means to me is buying my own stuff that I haven't been able to get in the past because my parents, you know, think it's too expensive or they want to save money for something else, you know, and that kind of led to some poor early financial habits on my part. Yeah, no, I I can totally see how that happens. And I think you're speaking to a lot of the people listening that were rebellious teens. I mean, let's be real. I was definitely that way too. It's like everything your parents say you want to do the exact opposite. I don't know why that is. But I I love that you were able to start working for the ice cream shop and start making your own money. And yeah, albeit maybe blowing it at Target. But you mentioned you had a twin sister or brother. I might have missed that. I have a twin sister. That is amazing. What was your sister like growing up? Was she similar in like financial habits or was she the opposite of you? So it's really interesting, actually. If you look at me and my siblings, I have a twin sister and an older brother. And personality-wise, my sister and I are actually opposites. You know, I was very scientific. She was very creative. I was very outgoing. She was a little bit more shy. So, and we're also fraternal. We're not identical. So we kind of just ended up um, developing very, very different personalities from each other. We were Uh, in that same way, very different when it came to money. But we had this like broad spectrum when we were young, young kids where say we got, I don't know, $10 for Christmas. My sister would save all $10 in her savings account. I would spend $5 and save uh, save $5. And my brother would spend all of his money and probably then some, if he could find something else to spend, he would spend it. So 
it thinking back, we kind of had like the whole gamut of spending versus saving habits um, among us as kids. And I don't really know where those things came from, but it's it's just kind of fascinating to think back about it. I know family dynamics are so interesting to me, too. I always think it's so, so Uh, fascinating. You mentioned you were more scientific. So you went off to college. Did you study something scientific in college or what did you study? Yeah, um, I studied environmental science in college and I was between that and computer science. And I decided that I didn't want to be in a basement all day. I wanted to be outside and that made the decision for me. And ultimately with how much I love travel and how much I love the outdoors, that was really the right choice. But I think a lot of people like me when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old have no idea what they actually want to do. And so it's, um, (laughs) it's kind of a crapshoot when you, you know, think about, oh, well, what major do I want? I like science. I guess I'll go for a science major. (laughs) I know, right? I love that you're bringing this up. So if you were to go back and give yourself young Becky advice, would you have gone straight to college immediately? Would you have done a gap year? Like how would you approached it? I think if I went back and gave young Becky advice, I would have taken time between high school and college. Um, I also would have made several different decisions when it came to going to college. Mm. So one of the choices that I made as a 18 year old when I was applying for colleges was that I was going to take out student loans yep. because another lesson that we learned from our parents was that uh, taking out student loans was a bad idea. Mm. But I was 18 years old. I was a legal adult. I thought that that made me very important and smart and able to make, uh, you know, $10,000, $100,000 decisions because money wasn't real to me at yeah. that time. I would say the most money that I'd ever had in my life was a couple thousand to maybe up to $10,000. So when I was signing paperwork that said, yeah, you know what, I'll take out $50,000 a year um, to you know pay for this college, then that didn't really register in my brain. Mm. And so I ended up taking out a lot of student loans. I made my choice of college based primarily on the concept that I wanted to get as far away from my parents as possible. Again, being pretty rebellious teen right then. And so I didn't go to an in-state university. I chose not to take the full ride offer that I got to uh, my state school. And I could have gotten an associate's degree at a community college for two years and gone to my state school for free and ended up with a bachelor's degree with like a a good school's name on it. But I instead said, no, I don't want to go to a large school. I want to go to a small school. I don't want to go in-state. I want to go out of state. I had all these boxes that I wanted to check because I had a really specific lifestyle ideal of what I thought college would be like and what I wanted it to be like. And to be honest, I got what I paid for. Um, I got an amazing college experience. I went to this beautiful, like idyllic campus and it had all these brick academic buildings and we had a quad and there was kids reading books out in front of the library, you know, (laughs) but it cost me a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. And I graduated with $100,000 in student debt and essentially no real money to my name. And Mm. was that worth it? I enjoyed my experience. But if someone sold me that now as an adult, 
that has a little bit more financial experience than when I was 18, I would say, I will not pay $100,000 for that. No, thank you. Right. You know what I mean? I do. I totally know what you mean. What's the, just to give us some context too. So a lot of people hear 100,000 and they're like, ah, I wish that's all I had. And some people are like, that's crazy. So what was for your type of degree? What was the average starting salary? So the average starting salary in my area, which is a high cost of living area on the East Coast, was around forty to fifty thousand dollars. Oh no! Annually, yeah. yeah. However, it is a higher paid field, but you have to put in the time to to get the the money, and it it probably would start at forty or fifty and go up to for like mid level um, would go up to around seventy five. But you're not going to be making six figures until you're, you know, a significant portion into your career, into a management level job. Gotcha. Were your parents during that time, were they trying to give you like the warning signs or were they, you know, you're an adult, figure it out on your own? Like what was their their experience with that? My parents uh, kind of took two separate approaches. So my dad was, I would say, the main financial educator. I actually, in my childhood, um, I had a stay-at-home dad. So my mom worked full-time and my dad stayed home um, with us kids. And so he was like the kind of school of life person for us who would teach us all these little lessons throughout the time. And so he was, I would say, our main financial educator. He was also the person who managed uh, the finances for our household uh, while my mom was the main bread and winner. And like she had a, a very successful, high paying career. So my dad was very frustrated that actually both me and my sister decided to go to private universities out of state. I bet. <laughs> um, and you know, he was basically, he kind of threw up his hands and said, I told you not to do this. I don't want you to do this. You're not going to listen to me. So right. go talk to your mother and she'll help you fill out your FAFSA, you That's know? so good. <laughs> <laughs> and so my mom, of course, was like, you know, uh, we just want you to understand what you're doing and the decision that you're making. And, you know, I would be happy to help you do this if this is really what you want to do. And so she was supportive, but I would say like in a, in a reserved manner, she also, she kind of came to terms with the fact that we had made up our minds and weren't going to just change our minds because our parents told us not to, if anything, that made me want to do it more. Exactly. Good parents though. I love that yeah. the context was untraditional too for you growing up. I always think that's so fascinating and I love, love, love seeing women breadwinners. Oh, that makes my heart so happy. So good, good on your mom and your dad. That's incredible. Let's talk a little bit about when you first realized what you had done and you're sitting at a negative net worth, negative $100,000. When did like, when did shit get real for you? When did you see that number and say, oh crap, like what have I done? Like when did that really click for you? So I have to be honest, while I filled out the FAFSA every year and knew that I was taking out $8,000 here and $12,000 there, I didn't ever tally up the amount that I took out until the second semester of my senior year of college. And I think that was a bit of a head in the sand tactic where I thought that I could hide from the financial reality. Because I was under the impression that I was doing really well financially. I didn't accrue any credit card debt. I worked several jobs at a time. At one point, I had four jobs at one time while going to school full time. Oh, wow. So I was able to save myself a lot of money. If I hadn't 
you know, gotten scholarships as well as worked on campus uh, while I was in school, I would have accrued I would say double, if not, you know, 2.5 times the amount of debt that I had to go to this university. So technically I quote unquote, like saved a lot of money. Um, but at the same time, I kind of thought that the primary purpose of my job was to enable me to get through college without any credit card debt. I didn't think about the idea that I could cash flow my college and pay for my student loans because it was a foregone conclusion in my mind that I was going to graduate with student debt because I applied for them before I attended the semester that they were paying for. So I went into my accounts and I tallied everything up, I would say a a couple of weeks before graduation, which is probably not a great time to figure out what your finances look like. But I had read something about student loan capitalization. And I didn't want the interest on my student loans to capitalize um, once my uh, what's called the grace period started, which would be directly after my graduation, because I knew that I had a lot of student loans. I didn't know how much it was. And I didn't want to pay any extra money than I was already signed up to pay. Completely. So I logged in and I saw the number. And at that time, I think it was around... You know, it's probably like ninety five or ninety six thousand dollars, something like that. Um, and obviously, the interest continued to grow and grow and grow. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of shocked on one hand because when you take something out like eight thousand dollars at a time, it doesn't really seem like it's going to add up to a hundred thousand dollars. Even especially if you're only going for four years and you're patting yourself on the back for getting your degree in four years because it's quote unquote cheaper that way. You know what I mean? And I also had this feeling of dread. And the reason that I actually had this feeling of dread is because I was transported back to these conversations that I had with my parents where they said, no, don't do this. And I knew that I had to tell my parents how much debt that I had. Um, Yeah. How'd because that, that conversation was, go? <laughs> um, well, I, I think on one hand, it was a bit of a, we kind of told you so. And on the other, they said, well, you're going to have to figure out how to pay this back. And I was like, no worries, guys. I have a plan because I've, I've always been a planner. I knew that I wanted to pay it back quickly. But I was also, so this was maybe May 2015, right before I was graduating. I was also in a position where I hadn't secured my full-time employment after college, I did have a continuation of my internship that turned into a temporary full-time position, but it was essentially had an end contract date and I needed to get a full-time job before that ended. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea what my salary was going to be. That was kind of the, the tricky part. I want to plan what I'm going to do about all this debt, but I don't know what my salary is going to be. So I leaned kind of very heavily on the fact that there was a grace period before I had to pay off my loans because I was not able to pay anything back until I started earning more money. Yeah. And how long did it take you to pay off your student debts and to get to that net worth zero? So I started paying off my student loans in September of 2015, which was right before my grace period ended. Okay. And I attacked the high interest student loans first, uh, which is known as the avalanche method of debt payoff. And I refinanced a grouping of those student loans um, at a lower interest rate so that I could get them over with even faster. And I ended up paying off 
$70,000. Yeah, I ended up paying off $70,000 of the $100,000 of student loans in two years. I think it was one year and eight months, actually, to be exact. Um, and that was like a really concentrated effort <laughs> to that get those out. so freaking incredible. Like, let's dig into that a little bit. So $70,000 in just over two years. Okay, what the heck were you doing? How much were you making? If you're comfortable sharing that, like, give us some context of what life was like during that process. Sure. Um, so I was earning, I actually had no break in my employment. So I did that temporary full-time position. It ended in August. I started my new job in September and it paid $47,500. That was my starting salary. I felt very proud of myself that I had uh, talked them $2,500 up from the $45,000 offer that they oh, gave me. Job. So I negotiated my salary right off the bat with this company. And, um, I started working for them. It was a consulting firm and in consulting, you essentially have mandatory overtime. Mm. However, as an entry level person in this particular position that I was in, I actually had paid overtime. It wasn't time and a half, but it was a uh, straight time overtime. So my hourly rate was applied to any hours that I worked, which was great because that essentially allowed me to increase my income however much I wanted. If I wanted to work 45 hours a week instead of 40 and there was work to do, then I could make that extra income. So that was one way that I increased my income to be able to more aggressively pay off these loans. The other way is I actually applied for a part-time position and got that part-time position before I even got my full-time position um, and started like right off the bat working two jobs at one time. Um, this was nothing new to me. I had never worked a full-time job before. Um, all of my jobs had been part-time in the past because I was attending school full-time, but like I said, at one point I was working four jobs at once. So I had no problem juggling my schedules, especially since the part-time job required evening and weekend work. And that was something that I actually almost kind of saw as like a fun thing to do. It was, hmm. uh, rather than being in consulting, which is a more higher paying field, it was in like I would say, public education. And I really enjoy education. I like sharing my knowledge. Um, I like meeting people and it was public facing. It was a public facing role. So that role really kind of worked for me in that they were paying me to do something that I liked to do. It was very close to my house. I didn't have to commute to that job. I could actually ride my bike there if I wanted to. Um, and so I had this position that could like kind of bolster my income and they were super flexible. If I said that I didn't want to work, I didn't have to work. If I said that I wanted to work, I could work as much as I wanted. And we also got furloughed over the winter. So in the winter months, I could work more overtime at my full-time job and uh, not work, you know, at this part-time job. So that was how I kind of increased the income side of the equation. Uh in terms of finding more money to pay off these student loans. When I started thinking about my expenses, the first thing that I did was I made a budget. Um, and I had never really made a budget before because my budget was always my checking account balance. As long as I don't <laughs> spend more than that, I'm fine. And if I had set a budget in college, one of the categories would have been like pizza and the other one would have been beer. Yeah, so no it doubt. wouldn't be like an adult <laughs> You know, an adult budget. So I finally had what felt like all this money because I was making five times as much money as I had ever made annually. And I had to figure out what to do with it. So 
what I realized was that since I had been living like a college student and when I got out of college, I ended up moving back in with my parents because the area I lived in was high cost of living. Uh, and I felt that I couldn't afford an apartment, although I probably could have. The reason I felt that I couldn't have is because I wanted to put so much money towards my student loans, yeah. actually. Um, so I lived with my parents for about nine months um, and I really didn't take on many additional expenses. Uh, I had already had a car when I was in college. I was already paying insurance. I already had a phone. I was already paying a phone plan. But there were very few discretionary expenses that I had. Um, I ate everything at home. I, I cooked. I didn't go out to eat. Uh, there, I just, I can't really think of too many things that I did actually spend money on besides my student loans. So my budget was a little bit backwards because I didn't have that much to put my money towards. And what I would do is I would see how much I had spent on other stuff, which would be maybe a couple of hundred dollars a month. And I would take everything else that was in my checking account and dump it towards my student loans. Mm. Um, at one point I was paying $2,500 a month in additional payments to my student loan balance when my minimum payment was $585. You were hustling, my friend. That's incredible. Yeah. So that, that was probably like my main driver for two years was to get those student loans off my back. I love that this, I think this conversation is so smart because there's a couple things that you are working. You're, you're kind of working personal finance from both angles, increase your income, which when you're young, that usually means picking up more work. Like, unfortunately that, that tends to be the case until you build up more experience and then the second thing is you made a big sacrifice by moving back in with, with your parents. And I know a lot of people hear that and they're like, well, great. I can't move in with my parents. Does that mean I'm never going to pay off my debt? How do you counter that? Well, I would say that that's one of many ways to lower your living expenses. In fact, that was probably the last thing that I wanted to do um, when I was coming back from college. Because not only did I have a bit of an I told you so situation with yeah. my student loans, but I had had four years of the independence that I craved so much as a teenager right. and had been living independently. I actually didn't have a roommate for the last three years of college, and I was on my own and I was taking care of my own stuff. And all of a sudden I had to move back in the house with my parents, but also with my twin sister, who is the same age as me, um, and also came back home. And so it was like this odd transition from full independence to like one big happy family again. <laughs> that would be a little odd. Yeah. I could see how that would be just like, <laughs> a, almost like an identity crisis, honestly, where you, you feel like you're an independent person and now you're back at home. And, and I can imagine emotionally that was really tough. Yeah, it was challenging. It it was something where I guess my responses to people who say like, oh, I wish I could move back in with my parents. I kind of feel like I wish I didn't have to move back in with my parents. Ooh. If there was any other option, um, I would have taken it. But I think that in every major debt payoff story that you'll hear, people had to make sacrifices of some kind. And the thing that I sacrificed was my independence. I had my parents asking me at 22, 23 years old, when are you going to be home tonight? <laughs> you know, yeah, and not cool. Yep. <laughs> that, yeah, it was just like, nobody's asked me that for years. I, 
I don't have to tell you that, do I? (laughs) You're like, I don't understand the boundaries here. (laughs) Right, right. And so not that my parents were overbearing, but it wasn't a situation that I would have chosen for myself. However, I think my past actions kind of made that a necessary price to pay. Um, And there's other things that I could have done that I chose not to do, such as get roommates, because ultimately, I guess my parents were my roommates. um, But I didn't think that getting roommates would be a better social or financial situation for me. And so I just had to weigh my options. Mm-hmm. I, love I, also, it. I also considered house hacking, but that sounded like getting into way more debt in order to get out of debt. And I wasn't keen on getting into more yeah, debt. Yeah, No, I totally feel that. I, I think that a lot of people immediately resort to that too. And, and I think sometimes the greater your sacrifice, whatever your situation looks like, the better off your results are going to be. I did something similar to when I was paying off my debt is I rented out my house and with my background, financial independence is everything to me. And so that's same type of thing. I rented out my home and moved in with my boyfriend for a reduced rent and that killed my independence. Like it literally freaked me out, but it was worth it. And so I think that's a really, really good advice that you're giving to everybody is just like, look at your situation and figure out what can you do to better your life. Now, maybe you can't do exactly what you, Becky, did or what I did, but there's something in our lives that we can always improve. And so I think that you you do a good job of that with your podcast and with your website of helping people see their different options. So by the time you were, I mean, three years later, after you start your debt-free process, you're finally at that zero net worth. You've paid off $70,000 in student loans. You've got an emergency fund in place. You're investing more money. At what point do you decide, maybe I want to turn this into a business? So in 2015, I graduated with those student loans. In 2016, I decided I would start writing about it because I realized how weird it was when I was talking to my peers Mm -hmm. to be aggressively paying down my student debt and therefore having such a high attention to the granular things in my finances. Um, it was unusual for people to be doing that. A lot of the people that I knew were seeing these big paychecks and saying, great, now I can buy a car and I can um, inflate my lifestyle. And since I had read the four hour work week when I was a teenager, I was 14 years old when I read that book, I always had an inkling in my mind of of the concept of lifestyle design and, and the freedom that you can get from achieving financial independence. And so I started, when I started learning more about financial independence, I realized that it would be important for me to document my journey, if not just for myself, for other people. So I started that blog, um, 20free.co in 2016. And I just did some like money reports on it and said, this is what I spent, you know, this month, and this is what I saved. And, uh, you know, started doing quarterly reports and things like that just to document my journey. I then started thinking, you know what, I wish that someone had written financial information that was at my level and was for me as a woman in my young 20s, because a lot of the people that you hear about in, um, I guess, general popular personal finance would be like Dave Ramsey, Mm -hmm. who I don't feel is speaking to me. 
um, personally. And um, a lot of the other authors that I used to read were like Mr. Money Mustache and Mad Scientist were males who were in high um, paying jobs and six figure, you know, uh, engineering jobs. And that didn't relate to my situation either. So I wanted to kind of see if there was some information that I could provide from the learnings that I had in my life to other people who were in situ similar situations to me. I love that. I always think that the best stories come from personal experience and usually a lot of the businesses grow that way. And so I love watching your journey to, to your website and now your podcast. I, I just think it's super inspiring. Let's talk a little bit about this concept of lifestyle design. So how do you approach lifestyle design? What does that mean to you? So lifestyle design to me is creating a lifestyle that is enjoyable and sustainable in the long term. So it doesn't mean that you have to decide what you're going to want forever in the future um, you're, and, and create that life and then live it for the rest of your life. But what it does mean is that you have to figure out what's important to you um, and make sure that you're the way that you're spending your time is in alignment with your values and priorities. And the way that you're spending your money is in alignment with those values and priorities. Because if you find, if you find that you're not in alignment with your values and priorities, you are typically kind of either just drifting along with however your life has been set up, or you're actually working towards other people's goals instead of your own. Um, so lifestyle design for me was really about taking control of my time and my money and um, figuring out what actually mattered to me and incrementally increasing my freedom to be able to choose how I spent my time. Ooh, I love this. Okay, so let's make this like, a, a, I know you're a big fan of do cast. I think that's such a cute term too. So how, <laughs> how do we get clear on what is actually important to us when it feels like in the moment, everything's important. So how do we really like pair this down to our, our top core values? Yes, I think actually core values is a really important concept. And what is helpful for me to, when I'm thinking about coming up with core values is what are the foundational pieces of my life that make everything else possible, make everything else easier. Mm. Um, and also on the other hand, there's, there's kind of two kinds. And then the other hand is what actually brings me like true joy. Uh, I think some people have even like lost touch with what brings them joy because they spend so much of their time at work, which might not be necessarily an exciting activity for them. Um, and outside of work, they don't have time for things like hobbies or relationships, um, yeah. or, or meaningful work like volunteering or a side project. Um, and so on that, that first hand that I mentioned, the things that make everything else possible are my health. Um, I think for a lot of people, they'll find that a, a core value that supports their ultimate ideal lifestyle is health. Um, Something else is usually financial freedom or freedom in a more general sense, um, because that allows you to make these decisions um, that you can spend your time in alignment with what gives you joy. And then so on the joy side, uh, you know, you think about often relationships, there are always going to be relationships that are really important to you. And one of the reasons 
many people that I talk to pursue lifestyle design and also pursue financial independence is so they can spend more time with the people they love. Because if you think about it, A, our time is not promised to us. You know, we could get hit by a bus tomorrow um, or someone that we love, you know, we could lose them. So it's important to find the time to spend with those people. But Additionally, um, a lot of us spend more time at work and with our coworkers than we do with our partners, with our parents, with our best friends, um, with people that we have very deep relationships with. So part of lifestyle design is flipping the traditional script and saying, how can I spend more time with the people that I choose to spend time with versus the people that I have to spend time with uh, through default modes like being at work? Oh, I love this. I think that's so good. So I think it really is as simple sometimes as just getting that awareness of what is important to you, what lights you up, what is that joy for you? I think that's really smart to dig into those areas. And then when you were going through this exercise yourself, what did you discover? Like, were you living in alignment with your your core values or were you out of alignment? How did that look for you? When I first did the activity of figuring out my core values, I was like wildly out of alignment mm. with them. Um, I I found that I had four foundational values and then several kind of additional supplemental ones. But the foundational values were health, happiness, purpose, and freedom. And I was not paying attention to my health as much as I wanted to. Um, it was kind of taking a hit because I was so focused on the freedom portion, um, which I kind of saw as my my financial uh, independence pursuit. Mm-hmm. And what ended up coming out of this discovery was the realization that my initial concept of pursuing financial independence by grinding and grinding and grinding at uh, multiple jobs at the same time and basically spending almost all of my time in some sort of pursuit of making money or saving money was taking away from the other things that I valued, like my health, like my, uh, happiness, which was a lot of that was relationship and hobbies based. And when you spend all your time at work, you don't have time for either of those two no, things. You don't. It's so <laughs> <laughs> and also from my purpose, um, the, other reason that I didn't mention earlier that people end up pursuing lifestyle design in addition to financial independence is because they want to have an impact on the world. And when you find work that is meaningful and impactful, um, and it doesn't have to be paid work, it, it could be other ways of contributing to society or to the world, you have like a larger purpose besides just putting money in the bank and watching those zeros grow on your net worth statement. And that was something that I had always thought would happen after I retired. My initial timeline to early retirement was 35 years old. So I wanted to kind of put, make myself a little bit miserable, be a little bit of a hermit who didn't pay attention to her health or relationships for about 12 or 13 years before I was able to finally be free and spend all this time working out and seeing my friends and uh, spending time with my partner and then, you know, volunteering my time and working for nonprofits that um, might have lower pay than the job that I was working at. Uh, And all of these things that I was pushing off and I was deferring all of this happiness until later. Um, And I came to realize that that was completely unsustainable because of how misaligned my actions were with my core values. 
Oh, I love this. Yeah, you're, you're talking a lot about that deferred life plan of my life will be happier when I do this. And it's almost just moving that milestone and checking that box. But you never get true fulfillment unless you do live within your core values. So I have been geeking out on this conversation. I think it's so important to just spend that time to plan your life. I mean, let's be real. Most of us spend way more time planning a vacation than we do for our lives. And so I think it's really important, the work that you're you're sharing. I think it's super smart. Um, Becky, is there anything else that you would like to mention before we start wrapping up this conversation? Is there something I didn't ask you about that you want to make sure we cover? I would just say when it comes to lifestyle design, it's really important to make sure that you are creating a lifestyle that you're choosing for yourself and you're not falling um, into the patterns that you see other people wanting for themselves or that you hear other people wanting for you. Because it can be really confusing when you're in your early financial life, if you're a young 20-something, to get out into, quote-unquote, the real world as an adult and see that everyone else is pursuing this so-called American dream or your parents have certain expectations for you or your friends or your partners have certain expectations for you. And those things can be confused with what you want for yourself. So it might take some trial and error And it might be a little uncomfortable to go against the grain, but if you want to design a lifestyle that is really the most ideal lifestyle for you, you're going to have to make choices that might be a little unconventional. Um, And as long as you're being true to yourself, I think that that's one of the important components to lifestyle design. I love it. Becky, this has been such a good conversation. I've really enjoyed our time together. Before we officially part ways, are you down for some rapid fire questions? Let's do it. All right. Okay. You probably know this, but I'm obsessed with people's morning routine. So tell us, what is your current morning routine? So my morning routine is actually pretty long. Um, I started it last year and it has had huge impacts on my productivity throughout the day. So just to go through it really quickly, I make sure that I hydrate, I journal, um, and I have a kind of specific outline for my journal that includes uh, setting up for my day and gratitudes and doing some mindset and affirmation work. Then I meditate. Um, I use the Headspace app because I found that sitting in silence was <laughs> a recipe for <laughs> like a mental racing and thinking about my to-do list. Um, I do a little bit of yoga and exercise. And now that I am working for myself and working from home, I actually try to get outside for a walk and listen to an audiobook. Oh, so smart. I love this. What are you, What's a book that you're reading right now? Um, so I actually just finished The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. That's and I have to say, I recommend that book to everyone. It Same. was so good. Oh, my gosh. That's so that is so good to hear. And since you like that book so much, too, if you haven't read Atomic Habits yet, I feel like that's a really good follow up. I love James Clear. I've been following his blog for years and I have his book. I just haven't gotten a chance to queue it up yet. Oh my God, you're going to love it. I'm so excited to hear what you think. Okay. So next question for you, where is one location you're dying to travel to? Wow. I, first answer I wanted to say was everywhere. I do have a goal to to see every country in the world. Um, but oddly enough, One of the places that I really, really want to go is Antarctica. And I am someone who hates cold. So that's kind of a weird thing to want to do. But it's so remote and the climate is so fascinating. And 
it's it's just very interesting to me. So I would say Antarctica. We are like literally the same person. That's what I, <laughs> I would love to go to. That's so funny. You might have to be my travel buddy because I can't convince any of my family or friends to join me on that one. Let's do it. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So what is a purchase that you've recently made that has made your life better? Mm, this one's hard. I don't, I don't find too often that like physical items make my life a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. You're like phone a friend. <laughs> yeah. I'm like thinking, well, I'm sure that there's something uh, like, for example, I guess this, this was a purchase that we made, but it was actually an experiential purchase. Mm. Um, I went to Hawaii with my partner in September of 2019. And that was the first time I'd ever been to Hawaii. Um, and it was the first time that I scuba dived. So the purchase was a scuba diving trip since I lived in the Galapagos islands, like six years prior. And I love scuba diving. I want to have like a scuba dive shop someday. And I want to teach people how to scuba dive, but it was expensive. And I was like, Oh, I don't know if we could fit it into our budget. And I'm so glad that we went because it was incredible. And I got to introduce my partner to something that I love, which is scuba diving. Oh, that's so cool. I love that. Great answer. Okay. Last and final question for you. In your opinion, what is the secret to financial success? The secret to financial success is consistency. Even if you take the smallest steps, if you do them consistently, you're going to succeed. Um, I find automation helps incredibly with being consistent because you don't have to make a choice. You don't have to use any mental energy. Um, Your consistency is done by a computer for you. Becky Blake, you are a rock star. Thank you so much for hanging out. For everybody listening in, 20free.co and Find Your Freedom Podcast is where you can go to connect with Becky. Thank you so much for your time, my friend. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. It was great to be here with you, Whitney. All right. What'd you think of the episode? I love the conversation. I always think it's so interesting to see what people did to pay off their debt and how everybody's stories are so nuanced and so different. And that was really cool to see. So I appreciated Becky coming on and sharing her story and what worked for her. I hope you enjoyed this episode too. If you did, do me the biggest favor maybe ever in the world. Send this to one or two people that you No, like any 20 somethings, any college students, anybody that's struggling with paying off debt. If you know somebody that this could help, definitely send them this episode. It's so impactful to hear other people's voices. And sometimes it just takes one little spark to be the catalyst for change. All right, guys, I have been really enjoying all of your comments on the podcast. Your reviews mean the world to me. Thank you so much for submitting those. It's so awesome to see. And I will see you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast. Bye. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.